I fought a good fight. I finished my football race. And after 18 years, it's time. Basketball players, we're really supposed to shut up and dribble, but I'm glad, I'm glad we did a little bit more than that. Eventually, every ball would go flat, but that doesn't mean that your life will flatline. What will you do when the game is over? Hello and welcome to episode five of the Endless Hustle podcast. I am Bro Babbles' Matt Cohan, and I am joined, as always, by Celebrity Page TV's Arthur Cade. Hello, Arthur. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, man. For those of you just joining us for the first time, we are speaking with your favorite current and former athletes about not only their sport, but how they approach their lives outside of it, from a personal branding to business ventures to generally pushing themselves out of their comfort zone. Our hope is that you'll not only learn something new about the athletes we're speaking with, but you'll learn something that'll help make a change in your own life. One more thing from a housekeeping standpoint, if you like the content from today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. I know it's annoying, but it goes a long way. And to add a little incentive, for those of you who leave a review on Apple Podcasts, you can send a screenshot of it to matt at brobible.com and I will pick three people a week and send them a Bro Bible koozie. I've used one basically every night during the pandemic. It's starting to worry my loved one. That is Matt at BroBible.com. What's better than a koozie? A free one. Okay. Without further ado, Arthur, tell the people what we got on this podcast. I mean, I would say we have a pretty A-plus episode. We're kicking it off with Jay Williams, ESPN's Jay Williams, although... One of the more famous college basketball players, I'd say, of the last 25 years. Incredible story, career-ending injury. And Matt, I think you would agree, it was no holds barred. We talked about everything from most hated Duke players to Allen Iverson getting him into a club in Miami. Just an insanely entertaining interview, and I can't wait for people to hear it. And then we had Vernon Davis, legendary tight end Vernon Davis, who coincidentally was just on Dancing with the Stars. And we were able to cover so much ground with him. He's now trying to be an actor and producer, having pretty solid success, I would say, and uh, gave us some great Peyton Manning stories. So it's a win-win. So I think let's kick it off with Jay Williams. I think people are going to love this. What do you say? Let's do it. Today on The Hustle, we welcome on college basketball legend, husband, father, and current ESPN analyst, Jay Williams. Jay, thank you for making the time. It's good to be here, Matt. Appreciate it, man. Matt, can I ask you a question just to kick things off? Because I know Arthur has a hat on. How do I get my hair to look like yours? Dude, this is, I, I have great hey, I can't rub my fingers through anything here. There's nothing. You know who you should talk about hair with? LeVar James Barber? Carlos Boozer. Oh, that's messed up. <laughs> We're messed firing up. out the gate. Jay, what is your uh, what is your mindset here on month one million of the pandemic? You know, it, it shifted, man. It went from, you know, thrive, you know, in the midst of chaos is a ton of opportunity to, you know, to be frank with you right now, I kind of feel like I'm at this stage, a little bit of survive in advance, like March Madness, right? Like my, my wife is pregnant, uh, you know, so there are different issues we're having there. I just got my tooth extracted. Work is in a weird place, like COVID numbers are going up, but yeah, I'm still going into the studio in New York. Different COVID protocols relates to that. Some of my friends just don't give a shit. Like they're still going out, kicking it. My mom is immune suppressed. My daughter's immune suppressed. I can't really do that. So there's a sense of like isolation um, and still trying to talk so much via 
Zoom and FaceTime with family members, but I'm kind of like in a weird place to be real with you, man. It's uh, it's hard to connect with so many people to recognize like what your reality is when you're living in a bubble, essentially. Like, you know, NBA had a bubble, but we're all still kind of in our bubble, unless you're single and you just don't care and you don't feel like COVID could affect you. I'm just in a different boat. You're in New York, right? I mean, I moved out to Connecticut, man. We were in Brooklyn. We we're going to go back to Brooklyn, get a place back there. But we really, man, like during all this social injustice stuff, everything happening, and we went, you know, uh, which is even weirder because we, we kind of went to one of those, you know, um, where we protest. But so the amount of people and some of the things that were happening in Brooklyn, like uh, robberies and things of that sort, we just didn't feel comfortable. Like I couldn't go outside with my kid, you know? Uh, so we, we were one of those families that we left Brooklyn and went out to Connecticut. And now we'll wait a couple of months until the market kind of, and then we'll go back in and try to scoop something nice. So Jay, we're coming off the NBA finals. Everybody's been having the MJ versus LeBron goat debate. I'm sick of it. I've heard every angle possible. So I want to ask you about the more important debate, which is the Jay Williams, Shane Battier, Duke National Champions face off against Leitner, Hurley, Grant Hill, Duke National Champions. Oh. Who is winning that game? I think I'd get Bobby. I think I'd get Bobby. I don't think they would have Bobby on me, but Chris Duhon would probably take Bobby. Um, we'll probably put Shane on G Hill. I don't know. That's tough. See, we might have to put Nate on. There's nobody we would have had that could have guarded G Hill. That's the problem. Uh, we probably would put Shane on late and then Dunleavy or Booze. But we probably, I don't know. That's a, that's a hell of a matchup, man. That's a, I would like to think at the end of the day, we had more scores, right? Because we had, I felt like we were a college version of the Golden State Warriors. But Leitner's won back-to-back championships. You know, I he, he he's tough to guard. But I would take my chances with Shane Battier guarding guarding Leitner. We wouldn't have anybody to stop G Hill, but I also don't think they would have had anybody to stop Dunleavy, Boozer, or myself. I think we would edge them out, but it would be a hell of a matchup. Give me a final score. I would have to say probably like 96-90, something like that. I think we would, we would probably give them like five or six more points, but we, 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 we rode, man. Like we could, we did have the number, the number two to number three. I think that was the fourth pick the year before we decided to leave. So if that's two, three, four, and then Shane, I mean, Boozer turned out to be a perennial all-star and then Duhon played in the league, the league for 10 plus years. G Hill is probably the best one I've ever seen though. So I, like, if G Hill doesn't get hurt, G Hill, we might be talking about Grant Hill like on the MJ level, close to it. Maybe not six championships, but close. Jay, I can't seem to remember what I had for breakfast, but I do remember your comeback in the 2001 against Maryland, down 10 under a minute and then winning into overtime. It's one of the most shocking things I've seen on the basketball court. Can you talk about that moment for you and how it felt beating uh, your nemesis, uh, Steve Blake? So Steve, here's the, here's the backstory. Steve and I were boys. Steve and I went to five-star camp together all the time growing up. So, oh, wow. And actually before that, that game, Steve and I were roommates for USA Basketball. I talk about it in my book. It was like myself, Steve Blake, Zach Randolph, Jason Richardson, Kenny Satterfield. Uh, and we went to Brazil for USA basketball, which was quite an experience. So I, I just feel like that year was like, everybody made like North Carolina was our squad, but like, I, I only had beef with Steve because Steve and I were boys. We didn't talk, but we were boys. And Steve always got the best of me, right? Like Steve knew how to guard me. So that game in particular, man, it was like, 
have you ever had it have you ever had like a relationship like with somebody where you can't be yourself because you're too busy being overly analytical have you oh, yeah. have, i don't know if you guys ever had something like that right like oh yeah steve, everybody's had something like that yeah steve was that girl for me right like every that opponent every time i play with them like i just started thinking about my shit so much i, I couldn't be reactive and for me i was at the best of my game when i was reactive so that particular game man I, it wasn't until i got him to foul out that all of a sudden i felt like i can be me on the court again and look whether you're one of these believers that duke gets all the calls or not honestly i didn't give a shit. i just wanted to get the call and steve got his fifth foul and when Steve was out i just felt like it didn't matter who they put on me it was drew nicholas juan dixon at that time i could just unleash and next thing i know like i score eight points in a span of like 10 seconds and nate gets a crazy tip back gets fouled goes to the free throw line game goes in ot and it's one of those miraculous comebacks where it's like whatever happened and i remember you know duhan and i having a couple of beers the night before that game and coach k be like whatever you guys did to to win this game keep doing it and duhan and i were like all right how many beers are we talking here? Are you getting drunk before the maybe the best game ever in college basketball? Well, well, some would look at alcohol as a way to relax yourself, to relax the the uh, you know the muscles, to not and uh, you know I don't really know exactly what it was. I don't recall. All I know is we won a chip that year, so whatever it was, it worked. All right, you got so drunk he doesn't remember how many beers he had. You hear that on the endless hustle? That is breaking news here. You said that, not me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We just had this awesome moment, Jay, with Alex Smith returning to the field for the Washington football club. I, it's so weird even saying the Washington football team, whatever it is at this point. And it made me think of you because obviously you also suffered a horrific leg injury. To see Alex come back from, when you watch at E60 where you see what he went through, you're like, holy fucking shit. And to see him on the field was incredible. What was the moment for you? Because you obviously were never able to make it back fully what was the moment for you where you knew it was over and it was time to move on to the next stage of your life? Well, it's really funny. So I, I had to shift author the narrative around, right? Because I think a lot of people on the outside looking in would say, well, you never made it fully back. And I would say, make it fully back to what, right? Like make it fully back to being a perennial all-star, make it fully back to being on the court. Like I did make it back on the court. It didn't translate into a contract. But, you know, I think everybody has to get to a certain extent. And I wonder when it's going to happen for Alex. Do I have more to gain than I do to lose? Right. And I'm just not talking about gaining from coming back and playing football. I think you quickly recognize when you go through some life shit is that all this, this world that we live in that glorifies being a professional athlete, it's not real. Right. It's really not because mm -hmm. as quick as it comes, it goes. Alex Smith doesn't come back. Guess what? We're talking about Dwayne Haskins, right? Guess what? We're talking about Dwayne Haskins not playing. We're talking about Kyle Allen. Like we're talking about all these different guys, right? Like our world of how we are enamored with athletes will go on and on and on. It will never stop. It is endless. But then a day for you, for a guy like Alex Smith, I know for me, I was like, what am I doing this for? Am I doing this for to remember who I was before? Like, do I need that from everybody? Like, does that help build my uh, self-esteem? That when people are like, oh, Jay, you came back, you killed it. Or like, do I need to start thinking about like my family? What kind of person do I want to be? So I wonder when it's going to happen for Alex, because in football, man, it takes, dude, I saw when they played against the Rams, Aaron Darnold came across the side and he could have smashed him and he kind of took his foot off the gas. Like it takes one bad hit at the leg for Alex Smith, maybe not to have a leg. 
So you get into a certain point like where it's like, is that worth it? For me, it happened when Dennis Johnson, my coach in the G League, just randomly died. I was like, what am I doing? I'm chasing this ghost of who I was and I'm not focusing on who this accident has allowed me to become. And I think when you start looking at your narrative that way, you don't allow outside people, not that, Arthur, not that you even do that maliciously, right? You're like, well, you didn't, you never really made it back. That's how people in sports talk. So for me, I had to shift my mind. I said, well, do I want to make it back to who I was before? Is that who I want to become? Or I'm actually going to let this opportunity that I had almost dying and going through life-changing event open my eyes to what's really important. And for me, I was like, oh, sports isn't really that important anymore. It's fun. I love it. It's my way to, you know, mess around with the guys and shoot the shit. But at the end of the day, it's not as fulfilling to me as finding out who I was or finding out who this opportunity has allowed me to be, if that answers your question. That's a great answer. People don't realize, Jay, how good you guys are. Like, you look at someone like Dwight Howard, who you watch in an NBA game, and you're like, this guy can't shoot. Meanwhile, if he's in practice, he hits nine out of ten threes. You guys are – the 12th man on the bench is the elitist of elite in any other league or sport, whatever. What's your pickup game like right now? So if we threw Jay Williams in a high-level rec league, how are you balling? What's a high-level rec league? Like, who's playing in a high-level rec league? Chelsea Piers. Let's say the top level of oh. Chelsea Piers. They I'm got some kill. former college guys. Matt, I'm going to kill. Like, I'm 39 years old. I know how to shoot. I know how to pass. And I know, I know that I weigh 205 pounds. And, like, Arthur, how much do you weigh? I'm 169 right now, 6'2". Okay, great. So I'm 6'2", 205. So I also know how to use my shoulders, right? So Matt, if you were guarding me, I would put my right shoulder right into the middle of your chest like that, and it would knock the wind out of you, right? So there are ways I can get around you without being speedy claxon. Like, I don't have to be on the court and be like James Harden with the ball. Right. But here's what I laugh about. Like, I'm in a lot of fantasy leagues right now, right? Just because being on TV, doing football, doing basketball, soccer, tennis, hockey, and I hear like guys talking like, oh, that dude's a bum. And I'm like, no, actually, you're the bum, bro. <laughs> He's not the bum. He's making $1.4 million to play a sport. He may not be able to be LeBron. But what happens is when you get to the league, you recognize like when I, I was national player of the year two times in a row in college, I felt like I was a little bit different in college. When I got to the league, though, I was like, oh, shit. Now I'm, I'm part of 0.001%. So then take the next step. So like when you see guys like LeBron or you see guys like Kevin Durant, that's 0.00001% of the 0.001%. What the fuck? Do you know how hard that is? So like, oh yeah, Rudy Gobert is a bum. Rudy Gobert is 7-1 and can move, he can move better than Arthur, you can, Matt, on the floor. He's 7-1. But people call him a bum, right? It's like Brian Scalabrini back in the day. He's like, oh, all these guys in Boston call me bums. He, he played like so many people one-on-one -on -one and nobody beat him. Like, it's it's all relative, you know. Like it's like broadcasting. Nobody can just jump on and be a broadcaster. Like it takes a while. Nobody could be as good as you guys. So it takes a minute. So it's all relative, I guess. Yeah, you got to remember that there are trolls online like us that feel better about themselves when they make fun of someone who's more accomplished than them. There's it goes two ways, you know. No, well, look, man. If a guy's killing you in your fantasy league, then you're allowed to give him shit. I recognize that. Right. Just when people are like, oh, this guy, I could do that. I can get him like. Uh, Let's calm down here. Let's yeah. calm down Joe in Tampa. Like, <laughs> we'll be fine, all right? You mentioned, uh, at, you mentioned LeBron, and earlier this month, the Lakers went, you know, full Karen and wrote a letter to the league about LeBron's lack of free throw attempts after, 
I think he shot like three in game three of the conference finals. The next game he shot like 14 or something. Uh, earlier this month, I think you rightfully criticized LeBron for, you know, constantly bargaining with the refs. Do you think the uh, opportunity cost of LeBron throwing his arms up after every drive is uh, affecting his public image negatively? So a couple of things, I got slapped on the wrist and it was good because I, I learned something. Actually, every team after every game has a portal where they write an official statement to the league about calls that they didn't feel were warranted. So the Lakers have been doing something they've been doing every game. It's the same way that Milwaukee does it. All these teams do it. So that was a learning experience for me. Um, but I, I do stand by my statement, right? Like I sometimes feel, it, first off, it's funny. All these incredible players that we were talking about, they're all like, they're all human beings, right? Like we all go through our array of emotions. And I feel like sometimes with Braun, he's so big. Like, he, yo, he's 265 pounds. Have you ever seen him? Have you ever been next to him? I have. I he's massive. I've never he's, seen a human being like that. Okay, so I will give you this sec. I've been next to Carl Malone. I've been next to Carlos Boozer. Carlos Boozer and Carl Malone weigh the same sides that LeBron weighs. Put that in perspective, okay? Carl Malone or Carlos Boozer cannot move like me as a guard. LeBron can move like me as a guard. LeBron has a little bit of that Russell Westbrook in him when it just shifts into a different gear. So when he comes down the lane, man, that's a effing freight train. That's a freight train. So you can imagine like if it's you're a car, if you're a truck and you're driving and your truck is getting hit by gnats, right? You just turn the windshield wipers on and off. But it's like if you're in hour three of a five hour trip after a while, you're like, yo, how many gnats can hit me? Oh my God, stop it with all these damn gnats. So I feel like Bron gets to a certain point where after a while, all these that the reps aren't calling because he's burrowing through it and it doesn't look like when AI would get hit, AI would get hit and like you would see the ball come out or AI would go, but AI weighed 165 pounds soaking wet. Bron's 265, so you're not, you're not seeing that. So I get it, but what happens is after a while, like when you get there, it's like, yo, bro, like you just got to go into beast mode. Like we're talking about game four, game five in the NBA finals. Like I don't need LeBron to revert back to maybe if you're doing that in game 60 of the regular season, I get it. But when he goes, when he turns that switch, ain't nobody stopping that man, bro. Ain't nobody stopping that man. He knows it. We all know it. It's just sometimes you get lost in the micro games within the game. And I think sometimes Bron still gets a little bit lost in that, but that doesn't, that should never take away from his greatness. What we're seeing, we may not ever see in the game of basketball again. Are there side effects, little things that happen here or there that get blown out of proportion? Sure. But I also recognize what we're seeing. It's different, man. It's different. We had Jalen Rose on the pod last week. He was electric. Unbelievable hour with him. And you and him have become two of ESPN's most popular and biggest faces at this point. When we look at talking head culture right now, we have guys who come from the game like the two of you, who understand it, who can analyze it, who see it beyond what the normal human beings like us see it. And then you have the true talking heads who are just opinion givers. Mm -hmm. As an analyst and as a broadcaster, can it be frustrating when you know you know the game better than the people across from you? Or is it just the price you have to pay because people are coming from different walks of life? So a couple of things here, man. It, it, it's, it's a little bit frustrating because you have to, it, it's about the gift of gap, first and foremost. One of the things I'll tell you about Jay Rose that I love 
is that I never know what angle of attack he's coming from, right? There's, there's nothing about him. It's like, oh, Jay Rose is going to say this. Like it, he always keeps me on my toes and I love that about him. So sometimes it's like when you're going against a Stephen A. Smith or a Max Kellerman, like I caught Max last year. It was like this epic moment for me because I have to talk about football now, I have to talk about NHL, but what I do is like when I start getting into debates, like I can't go into the depths of football to a degree because I didn't play football. I'm not watching every, I got NFL ticket. I'm trying to watch as many games as I can, right? But I'm not breaking down game film like Dan Orlovsky every damn day, right? Basketball, y'all, it's me. This is my shit. I'm, I'm watching it all the time. I'm telling you about nuances about footwork. I'm telling you about relationship issues off the court. Like I'm telling you about the whole context of it, right? So I know how guys are thinking and what they're thinking or I'm talking to people that do all the time. So with Max, Max is a gifted debater, right? Can take something, can see something, can spin the narrative and can really open it up and expand it. And if you're not good at debating, right? You can't catch him. Well, that moment he was like, well, Kawhi is more clutch than Kobe. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And then I'm like, all right, so, but Max is only going based upon analytics, right? So he's looking at the analytics piece of it and saying, okay, in the small sample size, the analytics say that in clutch time, Kawhi is more clutch than Kobe. But for me, I'm like, okay, you want to use the analytics base debate, let's use the eye test too. Tell me about the times that you saw Kawhi be more clutch than Kobe. Tell me. And he was like, well, I'm like, yeah, because you don't know about the times you're only doing it based upon analytics. So it, but I never understand that unless I do TV for 13 years, bro. I never understand that when I'm talking to you for the two minutes that I'm talking to you in, in TV real time, if you're coming at me and I'm going back to you, if I don't understand how to maybe bake in some time where I'm just talking for the sake of talking while I'm thinking about my point, like pay attention to how people do that sometimes. Like I could be talking to you, I'm not really saying anything because I'm thinking about my point while I'm preparing to say it to you while I'm talking, right? So it's a little bit of a politician play where it's also about debate, but also about knowing your sport. So the more comfortable you feel knowing your sport, the better off you are debating. When something like that happens, and we were talking to Jalen about his famous Skip Bayless dust up when you he absolutely three points you played three yeah that was 1.4 points not two don't give him that much credit there it, it was unfortunately third degree murder for skip <laughs> but when you had that with max it went viral as well how is it behind the scenes after a moment like that because that's pretty much like you're side swiping the guy he might not be alive after that <laughs> well here's what i look max don't, max don't give a shit man i am the biggest fan of max kellerman max kellerman is a g like he's probably the best there is in the game. First off, people don't recognize how difficult it is to watch every sport and to have an opinion about everything, man. Everything. Like there's certain shit in my day where like, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know. I honestly don't give a shit. I don't care. But for him, like he has to get you to lure in, to get you to be on the edge of your seat to listen to what he has to say. That's a skill. That ain't easy. That's hard, man. But the beautiful thing I like about Max, it's never personal, man. It's engagement in war. Like people have to understand, I, you know, Perk, Perk and I, because Perk, I think is really good at TV. We talk about this all the time. Yo, you come into certain chairs, like if you come on our show, like Keyshawn, J. Will and Zubin, like we're way, we're laid back. We're kicking it. Like I'm not trying to catch you in an aha moment unless you start coming at me. Yo, you go into the debate, debate of first take, 
it feels different up in there. Stephen A. Smith don't walk on set until like 10 seconds left before we say like, think about it, like you're on set, you get your mic on, right? You get your suit ready, you get all your camera positions, Molly sits down, Max is there with this notepad, all these damn notes on every square, you're like damn, gets you a little bit nervous, right? And you're like, all right, cool, like where's Stephen A? And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, 15, 14, you see Stephen A walk on. You know the shoulders Stephen A got, right? Hair popped up, sits down, does a little cracks his neck, sits down, camera on, boom, three, two, one. What's up, baby? It's Stephen A here. Right? It just, yo, if you ain't on top of your shit, you'll get a little bit lost now, and they'll take things that you say and use them against you. Right? It's being on that debate set because it teaches you in real, yo, you gotta be, if you don't know what you're talking about, you're about to get exposed. And Twitter is gonna make fun of you for days. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm a huge Stephen A fan. What kind of guy is he when the camera's off? Is he as cartoonish as he is on camera? Matt, it's 24 seven, bro. Well, <laughs> here's the thing that Stephen A does, like Stephen A like, Steve like, hey, Jason, Jay, Jay Will. I'm like, what's up, Steve? He's like, come with me. Like same gesture, everything, right? Come with me. So going to his office, like, what's up, man? He's like, did you hear what just happened? Do you know what just happened? Right? And I'm like, why do I feel like I'm still on first take right now? What is going on right now? Why are you talking to me that way? I feel like I'm watching an episode of General Hospital. But for me, like, he is one of the realists in the game. He's always going to tell you it straight up. Like, there's no bullshit. He'd be like, I don't like you. And here's why. A. B, C, here's where you fucked up. D, E, like just real all the time. But you just understand that that's SA, man. Like that's who, that's who SA is all the time. So when you see the video when the Cowboys lose, I'm like, I know he's literally at the crib watching the game, laughing like a crazy ass uncle. Like that's who he is all the time, man. Incredible. Uh, Jay. The Bulls drafted two incredible point guards between you and D Rose. And obviously mm. both careers were impacted mm. by injury. You're doing it to me, Arthur. You're I know. I gotta I, I'm dying Go to ahead. know this because I think I think your opinions are gold. If you stay healthy your whole career, D Rose stays healthy his whole career. Who has the better career? Well, wait, am I am I still in the in the horrible triangle offense or am I out of that offense? Yeah, no, the the triangle is gone. You get to you get to run the offense that you feel comfortable with. I don't know. His his MVP season was different. I never I didn't have that explosiveness like him. I had it, but not like you didn't see me take off two feet and I didn't I didn't have that here. What I did have, I could shoot it and I could handle it. I, I may have to give the edge to D Rose just because his I don't know, man. That's a tough one because, you know, I'm, I'm obviously crazy competitive. Like, I'm going to tell you, like, my, my game where I triple-double against Jay Kidd, I felt like I, I started to figure it out. And I might, if you go back and you look at my stats, my stats were nowhere in comparison to D. Rose's stats his rookie year. But I also came in playing the triangle where the ball was never in my hands. Mm -hmm. And our team, I wonder if our team was able to let go and just play fast-paced ball. It would have been myself, Jay Rose, and Jamal Crawford in the backcourt together. 
That would have been one, two, and th- are you kidding me? Yeah. We we had Bill Cartwright talk like this all the time. And Bill Cartwright, Jason, damn it, time out, time out, time out. And then Bill Cartwright and the staff would walk into the middle of the, the court. Me, Jay Rose, like, here we go. He's going to take two and a half minutes of the three-minute timeout, and he's going to come back, and he's going to tell us to run the triangle. And like, we've been running the triangle the whole damn season, the whole damn game. And then sure enough, Bill Carter would come back and be like, all right, guys, here we go. Jalen, Eddie Curry, eyes here, here. All right, here we go. Let's run the triangle. Like, give us something different, damn it. Let us play. We're killing. I can barely hear you in the court. There's 25,000 people here. You're telling me that I can't hear you. Bill, do you have bronchitis or something? I can't it's hear you. It's the index injury. It's, I, you know, so I, I know I'm on a tangent out there from your question about D Rose. I may have to get a slight edge of D Rose, but then again, I don't know because if I could have unleashed, man, I, I, I didn't feel like there was anybody in the league that could have stopped me. How about that? Yeah, that's a tough one because D Rose has some of the best high school highlights I've ever seen. If you get a chance, YouTube it, and you have some of the greatest college highlights. So that is really a you can't go wrong. It's a it's a win win on that one. Yeah, that's a, and D Rose is that's my brethren. But I'll tell you this for D Rose, which I give him a lot of credit for because I tried it playing in the city that you were born and raised in. I don't think people recognize how difficult that is, man. Like you come. From shy Matt and all, if you guys got drafted, right? What happens within our communities for where a lot of our players get drafted from? Like Jay Rule wasn't the only person that got drafted. Everybody that rolled with Jay Rule got drafted. Never talk about myself in third person, but I hope they did to provide you context, right? Like everybody that rolled with D Rose that hit him off with. You know, Hundo here or there, or his boys that got him out of bad situations, or the uncles that are around, or the family members, the moms, they all got drafted. What happens when you get drafted to a different city with me? I couldn't uproot all those people that helped me get there to, to Chicago, right? Like it was my mom, and my dad. Now that came with its own set of challenges, right? But if I were to stay and be drafted in the city that I came from, I can't escape that life. And I, I think that's one of the things that people don't give him enough credit for. Like, and you saw like the New York Knicks situation where he just disappeared, bro. Like he, like he's had some things that he's had to work through. And uh, I give him a lot of credit. That That's like even LeBron being in Akron, bro. You know how difficult, like LeBron James coming out of Akron, Ohio, then having the weight of the world. Like that's why everybody's like, everybody kills him on the whole GOAT debate. And I'm not getting into that. But author, it's like, damn, like, yeah. You know why he had to leave? Because he never got a chance to grow as a man if he never got the, the hell out of fucking Cleveland. He never got a chance to grow. So he goes down to Miami. He spends a little time with D. Wade, Patrick Riley. Whoa, think about that. All of a sudden, I don't have a crazy owner. I have Mickey Arison's my owner to a degree, right? Like Pat Riley, a guy who's won multiple championships with the Lakers. Like he's my GM. Eric Spolster's my coach. Like you saw how great of a coach Eric Spolster is this year. So that I learned. And then the audacity the the confidence in him to say no nah, i'm gonna go back home and win one for home come on man like that's who does that who says i'm strong enough to go back to where i came from to win you a chip you tell me who has the clout to do that yeah after making that uh, egregiously awful mistake of you know the decision and then everybody turning on him and then being like okay 
I'm coming back. It's he did. I've always said this, that the, the LeBron doesn't get enough credit for having living up to all the expectations set upon him when he was what, like 15 years old. And like, you just don't see that Sebastian Telefair. He, he didn't really rise above like, and LeBron is just, we just take it for granted. And when he's gone, like everybody, you know, I'm a Patriots guy. We won't be able to appreciate Brady until after mm-hmm. he's gone. And then everybody can rah, rah. But we're going to feel the same thing with LeBron. And I'll say this to you, Matt, just to be additive on that. It does help that the decision wasn't the best decision, but there was a, a pretty chunky six-figure check that went to the Boys and Girls Club for him to do that whole debacle. Yeah, he could have he could have found that within his couch cushions and given it to the boys and girls. I don't know if that was kind of the impetus for that, but. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. But I mean, look, you tell how old are you, Matt? 33. You tell me how you would have been at 20 years old if somebody gave you 40 million, bro. Uh, Believe me, LeBron is better in every aspect than (laughs) I would have been. I'm just, as as an outsider who doesn't have any consequences, I can, you know, talk and with no, you know, with no repercussions. So that's my two cents. I just feel like you put a little change in your pocket, man. It makes life different, bro. It makes, and for anybody that says that can't go to your ego, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Everything all of a sudden gets catered for you all the time, all the time. So if your relationship with your mom changes where your mom's like, yo, Matt, let me, let me, let me get five, 10 grand. Or, you know, like your friend's like, yo, let's do this business. Let's go here. Or like, Yo, that model is talking to you. Yo, this celebrity wants you to, yo, this guy wants to fly you on his G4. Yo, you can buy your own G4. If if you're single, if you don't have, that's why you see guys stay so close to their family. Like my wife humbles me every day. Like if you don't have that, man, it's it's easy for that to kind of go here a little. Jay, I was just recently watching the Leitner 30 for 30 about how everybody hates him. And I grew up during that Blue Devils era. And I remember Mm -hmm. how great that team was. And you think about the, the tradition of hated Blue Devils players from recently Grayson, JJ was off the charts. You weren't quite as hated. I think you were much more like They all <laughs> That's, hated. Is that what it is? Like, so I've, I actually want to ask you a two-part question. I don't know. The, Battier was kind of he, – he got under people's skin. Yeah, but not like, not yeah. like Leitner Grayson or, or JJ. Dunleavy. Yeah. Dunleavy was actually a – a white guy who everyone liked. What, what is it? What is it like when you're in that position? When you are the most hated guy or team in college basketball? And then the second part of my question is, who is the most hated Blue Devil of all time? Oh, okay, that that that's the viral moment that's going to happen from this pod. I see it already. I see it happening in real time. To answer your first question, I never really. I, it didn't really bother me. Like I wanted to go to Georgetown in North Carolina growing up. Like my dad was a huge John Thompson fan. We kind of got turned down by North Carolina because they thought I was more of a of a point guard and had Ed Coda and Ron Curry had committed. So, you know, when Coach K started coming around, I got enamored with it. I didn't really, I didn't really care. And I don't know if it's because I had stuff in my bag that people didn't find me to be a hateable guy, but I just wanted to win. So I didn't really care. Um, the most hated player, I mean. I love him as a kid and I think it as a, as a young man, but it, it's, I think people have kind of forgotten. I mean, Leitner definitely will be up there, but I think recently, I mean, it has to be Grayson, right? And I would just say Grayson's going to have a, a long NBA career. People already find a way not to like a player from Duke, especially if you're a white player that has stuff in his bag. Grayson had, he had shit in his bag. JJ had shit in his bag. So did Leitner, right? Like 
they could go. But I think Grayson tripping people multiple times and having those moments caught on the bench where he kind of like lost it, felt like he lost it, like through like a tantrum. I think that 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 probably makes him up there. And I, I hate that because Grayson's an incredible kid. I meet him. He's always nice. He's always cool. Like I've had moments where it was really challenging for me because, you know, look, I felt in my, my career, I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't. Like at the beginning stage of my career, if I said anything positive about Duke, I'm a Duke homer. If I said anything negative about Duke, it was like all of a sudden I was being chastised by Duke fans. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was like, look, I just got to call it how I see it. I know, like I got in a fight one time where I punched a kid in an area I shouldn't have punched. Coach K scolded me. I had to write a letter to Boston College. Like Grayson, I don't know, it was really tough to watch him go through that. But at the same time, kind of did it to himself. So it was – it was tough, man, to watch him go through that. So I'd probably say my answer would be Grayson, probably. Speaking of Coach K, when we look at that generation of great coaches, you think Coach K, Dean Smith was there. You have that generation. Bobby Knight was in that class at one point. I feel like we don't have that level of college coach because they're jumping all around. They're looking for the next big job. There's so much money involved. What is it about some someone like Coach K that makes him Coach K to a player like you? Well, first off, I mean, Matt can't tell us what he had for breakfast, but I think that's a microcosm of where we are in the world, man. Like, can you tell me what you did last Thursday? I'd have to think about it. You're right. I would check my tweet deck. Exactly. So if it wasn't for the digital space, how would you know? So I, I do feel like we live in a vortex now where it's 24-7, news cycle 365, the only thing that you are going to remember is the thing that's going viral that day. The thing that hooked me on K, though, was that he called my father and my mother, David and Althea. He called me Mr. Williams. So he treated me like an adult when I was like 16 years old, which I never had somebody that gave me that type of accountability. I never had that. I never felt the weight of a responsibility of somebody saying Mr. Williams. Right? I was always I was always Jay. Or I was always Jason. So that's number one. And secondly, my man, it was. You know, Arthur, I think you kind of said in my intro, like, if I'm doing broadcasting in 15 years from now, I want to do this podcast with you because I'm doing a disservice to myself, right? Like, I am going to be, like, my goal is to be like that Ryan Seacrest or that Oprah of the sports world. It's what I'm building towards. It's the reason why I've done work with LeBron. It's the reason why I did work with Rich and KD. I'm doing some other stuff that's coming down the pipeline. And I think it's going to be pretty massive. Like, that is my goal. I want to own my own IP. I want to help other people establish what their brands are. But one of the things that Kay is brilliant at is he was like, so what pick in the draft do you want to be? And I was like, I want to be the first pick in the draft. He's like, okay, cool. How much money does the first pick in the draft make? And I was like, uh, shit, I do not know. Right? Like, can you guys tell me, like, you guys have a great pod. Can you guys tell me what Joe Rogan's pod got sold for? 110 mil. That I know. <laughs> Boom, right? Well, that's big, though. So, but you're paying attention to what's happening in your own market. So for me at 16, yeah, I want to be first pick in the draft. I never knew how much money the first pick in the draft made. He was like, okay, well, how much does it inflate by each year? What? Inflate? I don't know about inflation. What do, what do you mean inflate? What percentage? What do you mean? Oh, that percent. Okay. Well, how many years guaranteed is your contract? Okay. Is the fourth year a team option? Is it your option? How much does your agent make? How much does your account like? So he started talking to me like I was a businessman. I never had somebody do that to me before. I never planned for my goals. I just said what my goals were. So 
all of a sudden throughout my time there, there was a lot of preparation, but for things way bigger than just fucking basketball. You know, it was about life. So everything, and it's funny because now when I'm on air, when people talk to me about sports, I'm like, you're just not talking about sports. Like, it's like the pandemic. People are like, oh, it should be easy to play. I'm like, you guys do know that everything that happens in your personal life, you bring into work, right? If you're having a shitty day, if your girlfriend breaks up with you, you're not probably going to come into work and be like, right? Like, like your mood is going to translate. So if Bronny's kid gets caught blazing on camera, like, Bronny's probably going to have that translate to the court. He may be more pissed off that day. Like, man, what got in Bron's ass today? But that's why, right? Like, so for me, I think it was the first time I paid attention to the lessons of that and how to start thinking that way about, oh, managing the game, but the game of life, which the micro games of basketball translate to the game of life, if that makes sense. Is that mindset that Coach K instilled in you what you brought to their, you're doing the new uh, Chase web chat series with Serena and stuff, right? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I appreciate you doing that, man, because for me, yeah, it's a series, but also at the same time, it's just my life, right? So Jay Rose, who gave me this epic line, like my third year doing TV, he's like, hey, appreciate your position while always planning your promotion, right? So for me, how do I get all my ducks lined up to make sure that when I do make that pivot, I have everything in place to pivot correctly, to fully throw myself into what I'm doing next? I can only do that if I'm planning out things strategically. And a lot of that for me sometimes is around finance, especially being an ex-athlete, man. Like I can't tell you, like and people are like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I say, all right, so if you make $300 a week and after four weeks, like you have your money. Okay, fine. Like you have your money, but you spend 30% of your money on a pair of Jordans that just came out, right? That's applicable to if all of a sudden now you're making $100,000 a month. And somebody's like, oh, there's that dope painting. You're like, oh, I want that painting. I'm just going to go get it for $35,000. You're like, well, wait a second. You spent $35,000, but you made a hundred, but you also, you're in the highest tax bracket. You should probably think about that because now that's actually 50% of the money that you have saved. So my thing is like, I'm always appreciating while planning, but in order to plan correctly, like I need to be competent about what I have coming in. So for me, being able to talk to Serena about, hey, back when you were in Compton, did your pops ever talk to you about money? Or how did you handle the first time you made money? For me, should I took my first paycheck and my account's like, where's it at? I'm like, it's underneath my bed. I've never seen this kind of money before at all. I don't want this shit to move. And he's like, oh, how about we invested in the market? I'm like, I, I don't want to trust this bank with my money. So, but you never learn any of that stuff until you start having conversations about it and you start understanding what's going on with your money. And for me, I want financial freedom. And I'll be real with you guys, especially having so many young African-American athletes or minority athletes. Like I didn't, I grew up in a household where my dad talked to me about that, but my friends or parents never talked to me about that. They didn't have any conversations. So you can only imagine if you're 18, 19 and somebody's like, here's $30 million. And you're like, wait, what? And you have all these people that are coming out of nowhere, the woodworks, right? That are trying to solicit your business. If you're not competent to understand how business works and ask the right questions, and not just trust the people who are only been around you. Cause that's what happens as an athlete. Like, well, cousin Ray Ray has been around me. Jay has been around me. They're my friends. I guess I'll make Ray Ray my manager and I'll make Jay my accountant because I trust them. They've been around the longest instead of saying, Hey, what fees do you want to charge? What is actually going to happen with my financial portfolio as a manager? If I pay you X amount of what you bring in, 
what is your marketing strategy? Like being able to ask those questions to people that you may, you may trust, but they may not have the understanding to actually give you the right blueprint on how to do that. Then I'll say you weed those people out. Then I'll say you look at the people that are coming out of the woodwork differently, right? Like, oh, this is business. I can hold you accountable. I may not know you, but this is how I'm going to hold you accountable. So I want to inform people to think that way, especially young athletes, because we with you guys, that's what I'm doing next. You have these kids, you know, they're going to be 14, 15, 16 years old with name, image, and likeness, going to have a chance to make millions of dollars earlier. And you have to start thinking about that. Who you're surrounding yourself with is going to be very important. Watching The Last Dance, Jay, growing up during the Magic Jordan Bird era and remembering how great they were, I'm a total homer with those guys, and I say that they're the greatest era of basketball. And I played high school and college. How do you think MJ does in today's NBA? Oh, I think he rips people's hearts out. I think he, uh, it's like Mortal Kombat, right? Like, it's like rip, look at it, and then put it back in your body and be like, yes, I own your heart. I own it. It's mine. And I, I think that sometimes it's funny because we, we sometimes beat those people up. Like Russell Westbrook has that in him. He may not have the tool set that Jordan has, but like, well, can you win with Russ? Is he too competitive? It's like, you know, like Tom Brady, seeing Tom Brady on the sideline, like everybody gets into this whole debate about like, well, how come, you know, when we see OBJ, you know, he's yelling at people or he's kicking the ball in the net. Like he, he's, you know, he's crazy. He's out of his mind. But when we see Tom Brady do it, it's like, well, that's what winners do. And I'm like, well, he did win the multiple Super Bowls and that is what winners do. But until you win, right? Like, it's it's interesting, man. So I, I, I don't see a lot of that in today's game as much. I do see it mainly from guys like CP3. I do see it from guys like LeBron to a degree, even though he's different than MJ. See with Russ, I see with Rajon Rondo, where it doesn't matter what they need to do. Like Gary Payton told me this story. We were playing USA basketball. I'm going into my sophomore year. That's that team I told you about that went to Brazil with Jay Rich and um, Zach Randolph and Steve Blake. And we're playing against the USA team with Ray Allen and GP and KG and Paul Pierce, all these guys. And I'm going up for a shot. And as I'm going for a shot, GP's running at me, cursing me, saying, that's off, mother, that's off, blink, all these curse words, right? And he's, he's going by me. And as he goes by me, he just flicks me right in the balls, man. Right? Just, it, was a, it wasn't like a, this kind of flick with the index. It was like right there, right? And so you imagine you go up to shoot, it's like, right? And so now... As I come down, I'm losing myself in that with him. And I'm talking to him. But for me, that made me better, right? So then when he went up, shit up, I punched him in the balls. I'm like, oh, you want to flip? I'm going to punch you. So him and I are going back and forth. And after the game is over, he pulls me over to the side. And he's like, yo, man, like, I respect you. I'm like, what? Because yeah, I'm thinking, like, we're about to fight, right? Like, a guy comes to you after you go interchange like that, we're about to fight. And he's like, I respect you. Don't let anybody, don't let anybody, I'll never forget, don't let anybody make you not be immersed in the game. Don't let somebody take you out and get your mind other places. Like what I saw happen to you after I flipped you, you became more in tune with the game. You became more in alignment with the game, you became one with the game. You got better. Other players I do that to, they get worse. They get distracted. They get involved like, you know, with all these other things. And I, I took that to heart and I'm like, oh, okay. Like that's what, and if you pay attention to people that really compete, that's what happens. You get lost in the game. I'm not saying it works out every time, but 
that era, Jordan and those guys had that. I'm not sure every kid that's in today's era has that same kind of upbringing because the game, everybody, you're still competitive, but guys are kind of like, you're boys with everybody. Like social media, I'm bo- like, oh, I'm boys with the other top tier player. Like I couldn't connect with Steve Blake. I couldn't connect with Jay Rich. Like, which made me want to beat their head in more because I didn't know who they were, right? I wasn't having long, like, yo, go get your money. I was like, oh, you trying to take my money away from me. So I, I think the connectivity now makes the game different, but it's also powerful too for these players these days because they can have alignment together. But unfortunately, I think by not doing that, you kind of miss a little bit of that edge because everybody does know each other at an earlier stage. I got to ask you, because me and my friends had this debate the other day. You know, there were reports of the Clippers players annoyed at Kawhi because he received, you know, load management and whatnot. Can you talk about your views on load management and if the stars, if that breeds resentment among the teammates? I'm sure it does. Um, You know, like I'm I'm, kind of load managing now because I had this horrible tooth surgery. But at the same time, you have to to do what you have to do. I think for Kawhi, who's been plagued by injuries for most of his career, I think it's understood. I, I don't think that's the issue, though. I don't think it's a low management with Kawhi, Matt. I think it's Kawhi's inability to articulate what's going on, right? And I think this is what happened with this year's team. When I look at all the teams Kawhi's been on, he's been on teams of really strong leadership. San Antonio, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, Mono Ginobili. Like, those are dudes come here. What are you doing? Let's go. Time your situation. Play better. Guard his ass. Follow the scouting report. Like, they'll say it to you while they're holding you accountable. Toronto, Kyle Lowry, he, oh, he's that leader. What are you doing? Be here. Be there. Serge, those guys talk. Kawhi doesn't talk. He doesn't talk, which if you don't talk, it's hard for you to lead, especially if you're considered to be – the conversation was – Man, for the past couple of years, he's the best player in basketball. If you're the best player in basketball, and regardless of whether you low manage or not, you have to be there when it counts, right? So Kawhi and then PG, those aren't guys who grab you like that. Patrick Beverly is a guy that barks at other people. I'm not sure he barks at his own teammates because he's not as physically gifted to say, follow me, I'll take you there, right? Lou Will is Lou Will. That's AI Lou Will, right? He's going to dance, get you buckets, right? But Lou Will, you're not saying Lou Will lead us, right? Like, so I think him not having that combined with low management, look, man, I don't know, bro. And I heard what you said, Arthur, go back to your point where you said that guys back then was golden era of basketball, but today's athletes are superior to those athletes back then. And I'd say that maybe not the physicality of the game, but I don't put that on the players. I put that more in the league with the physicality of the league should allow them to play. But you can't tell me that these athletes today aren't better than the athletes back then. Have you seen Gerald Green jump? Have you seen Zach Levine jump? Have you seen LeBron James? Have you seen Giannis? Have you seen Kawhi? Kawhi have you seen I mean, all these cats? Like the athletics are different. So bring it home, Matt, to your point about the analytics. When guys, when you're playing the amount of basketball that guys are playing now, to say that, hey, guys are soft because they're low managing, I don't know if I necessarily believe that. I don't know if I believe that. You tell me what the analytics proved, the analytics were like, you know, like, because guys are also playing basketball all year long. Guys aren't taking three, four months off like guys used to do back in the day. That's what made Jordan so special, though, right, Arthur? Like, 
he was back in the gym as soon as the game was over. Now, Jordan's a different breed, but I don't know. The amount of basketball is different now. So what those analytics have to prove, if you're playing 60, 65 games, I'm cool with that. Now, if you're playing 40 games, that's a problem. You mentioned AI. I'm originally from Philadelphia. I saw AI on the court up close and personal for many years. I actually played with him on the court in multiple pickup games and the quickest guy I've ever seen in my life. But AI also culturally did something that no other player had ever done. When you look back, you're a young man and you're seeing Allen Iverson and how he's redefining the image of a basketball player. What did that mean to you? I'll tell you my epic AI story. So wanted to go to Georgetown. Dad loved John Thompson. Grew up in Jersey, New York. Obviously, I'm a diehard Big East fan, right? So like going to see Rutgers, Villanova, Georgetown, Pitt, all of those brawls. I love that shit. I, I loved it. Like that's what I thought I was gonna do. It's going into my rookie year, and like any other kid, right? Getting an advancement from an agent, got some money in your pocket. Got the plane, took my boys in the G4 down to Miami, where, um, God, what was it? It was the Delano Hotel back then, right? So we're at the Delano Hotel. It's like me and like seven of my boys were going to this pool party. So we're in line at the pool party. And, you know, my parents made sure that that first year I had security that went around me everywhere. Like I was, like I was LeBron or somebody, right? Just to stop me from doing something stupid, obviously that didn't work out later in my career. Anyway, moving forward. Um, so I got security there. So his name, our security guy's name was Tim, right? So I'm like, yo, Tim, I'm not trying to wait in the line, man. Go to tell the door guy we're here, willing to spend this amount on the table. We're trying to have a good time. So Tim goes up, tells the door guy, comes back in the car. He's like, yo, we're good, let's ride out. I'm like, cool. So we get out of the car, I mean, all my boys, Got a couple of friends with us, you know, we're like probably 10 deep and we get up to the front of the line and they have me wait. Right. So, you know, at that time, I'm 21, like I think I'm somebody I'm like, come on, man, got me out here waiting. What's going on? And there's like a long line. There's a long line, like crazy long line on the beach. And I see these two buses pull up and I see all these people, at least like 15, 20 people get out of one bus. And I don't know who any of these cats are. Right. And I'm in line like this. And they're all walking by me into the club. And I'm like, what the, what is going on? Yo, Tim, what, what? And then the second bus pulls up and another 15, 20 people get out. And the last person to get out, I see him. He got this old school Alex English jersey on that goes around to like his knees, right? It was, and he has the chains on, he has a backwards cap on and he has a bottle of Moet and he's holding it, right? He's just drinking it and I'm like, And I'm like, so I went from being like angry to be like, and I, AI walks by, he's walking by me. And I'm like, do I say what's up? Do I seem like a fanboy? Cause I am a fanboy, but I'm not. Cause I'm about to get my own table. We about to pop it off of here tonight. I'm gonna get more bottles than AI. In my mind, I'm telling myself this, right? And then AI goes, yo, what up, Jay? I'm like, what up, babe? He's like, man, who you they with us? Come on, man. And he brought me in. I'll never forget this, dog. Like, I was bigger than him. Like, he put his arm around me. I was like, I feel so small right now. He's AI. And they put me over to my table. He sent me some bottles. And I'm just, I was just like, I'm like, man, like, that's, he got 45 people in the club. I'm, I'm trying to get 10 in. 
And I'm, I'm willing to wean my people off. Like, she really ain't with us. Like, she, her and her friends, like, they okay. They're not really with us. But, like, I'm just trying to get five of my, my dudes in. You know what I mean? 45 people? Like, it's just, and those type of legendary moments, man. Like, that's, like, for as much hate as people try to give him, like, he just, he shed nothing but love to me all the time. He would try to beat my head in on the court. But as soon as we were off the court, it was like, hey, young fella, like, what's up? Were you good? Like, and I, I just, he's forever a legend in my heart, man. Like, he is the, the icon of what it means when hip-hop connected with sports. Like, even at ESPN, like, when I first started working, like, we played heavy metal going to breaks, right? Like, now we play, we play all the dopest hip-hop at ESPN going. It's just, like, he led that movement, man. And it's, um, and I feel like James Harden offensively is like the next evolution of that. As if I couldn't fucking love Allen Iverson more. That just made me fucking love him so much more. Yeah, you can't manufacture that type of cool. You're only born with it. It's, it's really only AI. 45 people. <laughs> I bet like 80% of them were women who wouldn't look in my direction if I paid them 10 grand. 98% of them were women. <laughs> and then how about the beautiful part? He was like... <laughs> Here's the best part of the story. So he's like, Jay, you good? Who you with? So I point to our whole crew. Remember I told you about those two, those two or three that I was like, ah, I'm not really sure. He was like, yo, them, they with you? And I was like, well, Connor, he's like, nah, man, you come. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you right. Yeah, oh, we are good. They ain't with us. I don't even know their last name. <laughs> no, I their names My boys are so angry at me until we got into the club and then they were very angry. <laughs> that is fucking incredible. That's amazing. All right, Jay, let me ask you this, because the NBA, the, the game has gotten so fast, and I think the refs have a thankless job. Um, but this has kind of brought and rise to a new brand of, of flopping, and I think it's, in many eyes, it's tarnished the whole product. Do you view flopping in the NBA as a problem, and is there a solution in real time, given the speed of the game? I mean, is, is acting in the game of life, is that a problem? I just heard Ryan Fitzpatrick on, I don't know if you heard his words after like he found out he wasn't a starter. Like, do you think that's real? Do you think his, do you think his heart really hurts? Like, or do you think there's an element of acting that goes into like feel for me because I'm about to get another job. I'm over here watching Kellen Moore with Dallas Cowboys. I'm like, yes, trade for Ryan, trade for Fitzmagic. Just go get him. Do I think the fine should be a little bit heftier? Sure. But man, it's sometimes it's called gamesmanship. And I know people get frustrated at it. Now, look, if you're flopping, like sometimes I get a little bit frustrated watching my boy KL play Kyle Lowry because it is, oh. it's a lot. Yeah. It's all the time. And when people meet me, they're like, oh, like you're 6'2, 200 pounds. Like you're way bigger than what I thought. And I'm like, yeah, look at me on the court. Like I look like a tiny person. I look like a hobbit, right? Because dudes are aliens. I, at the same time, I feel for Kyle because sometimes, like, there'll be so many big players around him that like, he won't get those calls. So there is an element of acting that goes into it. When it's overly done, I get annoyed, but I don't mind it every once in a while. Like, think about it. Like, when you shoot, right? Like, if I take my, my hands and I bring them into your hands, like, that's kind of acting, right? But it gets a call. It gets me to the free throw line. You know, James Harden does it. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, you, you don't know how to guard me. Like now I have you thinking about how you're guarding me instead of just actually guarding me. I'm winning. Is it bothersome? Yeah, sometimes, but not often. 
Do you have an all flop team, current or former? All flop. Well, KL definitely. Kyle Lowry is on that team. Huh. Rodman makes it too. Rodman was an all time. Yeah, all time flop team. All time. I've seen Shane. I've seen Shane do some pretty good flops in college. Braun does some sometimes though. Like, like <laughs> you know what I, mean? I think one time like the screen was coming, he just brought, and like nobody touched him. And yeah. This is the best when you see shit in slow mo these days now, like with all the camera angles. You can't hide. Yeah, you can't hide. James Harden, Chris Paul. Don't you dare say Marcus Smart. He lays his body out on the line. That dude's a beast. Marcus Smart is a beast. I, you know, I look. I don't got shit to say about Marcus Smart. I ain't trying to have that dude show up to my house. <laughs> like I, I, I've seen it. I said it back in the day when I saw him play Oklahoma State. I'll never forget this. I was doing college ball, which is really it's been cool for me because now doing all NBA, like I watched all these guys. Like high school basketball this year was bigger than college basketball, man. Like it's such a movement with the way it's happening. So. I remember back in the day where somebody called him the N-word, supposedly. And I never, it was like, I've never seen it. I had a dog. His name was Popo, right? His name was Apollo. And I had two dogs. One, one his, name, his name was Deuce. The other, his name was Apollo. And I had my, I had my home in North Carolina. We got an electric fence. So Deuce was like a thoroughbred from Germany, right? Understood German. I gave him German commands. And I'll, I'll tie it all back in real quick. But so, you know, one of the things they let you do with the electric fence is they say, okay, your dog has to run through the fence because we want your dog to feel the shock, right? It's pretty messed up. I want your dog to feel the shock. So they had you go to the opposite side of the fence and, you know, like, all right, so now tell your dog to come here. I'm like, all right, come here, Deuce. And Deuce ran to me and he hit the fence and he said, right? So I was like, all right, Deuce is two years old. And we got another dog. His name was Apollo. Apollo was from Hungary. Apollo had a full tail, Rottweiler, right? But it was a little bit heftier. We called him a, like one of those fat frat boys, okay? That just drank and wore Jesus sandals all day. That's what he looked like. So we're like, all right. So like now tell Apollo, come here. I'm like, all right, come here, Popo. And Popo hit the fence and was like, and went through the fence. And the guy was like, I've never, I've never, I've never, I've never seen that before. We should probably turn up the shock value there. So now like we're playing. So Popo's shock value was like three times higher then deuce so for me when i see marcus smart i'm like oh no like he's popo his shock value is like three he's gonna do something crazy you ain't gonna be able to just hold him together right so when i, I saw him run into the stands and start swimming I'm like so for me i'd be trying to tell people like it's such an advantage that he has because i don't know what makes marcus pop off but when he pops off he pops off yeah. so like i give him a lot of credit uh, never going to say he's a flopper. He just plays hard basketball. Hard basketball. Every time I watch that, I, I, I'm hoping that he connects with that guy. And I, I just hope that it's, it just ends differently every time. He's a throwback. He's like an 80s player, that dude. He could play. He's a, he's a, he's a bad boy. He's a bad boy piston. Okay, so here, here, here's one. Give me five players in today's NBA that you think could play in the Jordan Pistons era. I have this debate with people all the time. Giannis could translate, and Giannis he's got Giannis has the mentality for sure. I think Marcus Smart one thousand percent translates. Draymond. I have I tell people I think Braun physically translates, but I think he'd get clotheslined by Lane Beer one time, and he would just like disappear. Like he's not the same Braun if he gets hit. Do, by you, those eight. do you think Braun would do that if Braun grew up? playing that kind of physical basketball. See, I, I think Bron's grown up in a different era where they call yep. all that stuff, which makes him do that. But I think if he grew up playing that way, it wouldn't bother him. He would push through it. Yeah, yeah. Bron, Bron listen, Bron can be, translate to any era. He's, 
he's the second greatest basketball player probably to ever live outside of if you're talking Kareem and the centers and all those guys, but positional player, he's probably number two behind Jordan. He can translate, but he's not built like Giannis is built like those eighties guys up here. Like he thinks like he wants to grab you by the throat. He lives in the gym. He doesn't care about his brand. He is that dude. And I, that's why I love him. Jimmy Butler would translate. Yep. I like that one. Butler that is- translates. Marcus, we said. Giannis, we said. You know what? I think Kawhi translates, too. I think Kawhi would be excellent we're, in that era. Manage them. Yeah. That wouldn't, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be able to – That wouldn't. they wouldn't do right with that back then. I don't think they'd let him get away with – young Kawhi, preload management Kawhi, but just doesn't talk. No, no. I'm talking about guys right now in today's game. That's a load management Kawhi who's injury prone. I don't think he can have I, I think Chris Paul translates. See Paul I, – I CP3. I like that. CP3 right. translates. He's a little. Think. He's a little bit emotional for the for the. Uh... So was Isaiah. Isaiah was emotional. True. Isaiah played with his emotions. So, you know who would be unbelievable in that era is Clay Thompson. Mm. Clay Thompson, super great defender, running off picks. That that jump shot. I love that dude. He's thick as a fucking tree. I love that guy. I like that. I Clay like Thompson that. translates. I want one good, one more good one. It's tough, man. Bigs are, I mean, because there's no more. Like, yeah, I'm trying to even think of any bigs that aren't just wailing up threes. But to the earlier generation, what's your projection on Bronny? Is he making it to the league now that he's addicted to marijuana? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I rather, I rather him take a hit than you know take ibuprofen 800 every time when your body breaks down. Uh, or take an opiate or opioid because they're quick to hand you those type of things. I, I don't think the weed thing was a big deal at all, man. I, you know, he has to be smarter and he's, he's a kid living in the public eye. That's, you know, one of, one of the people that I got lucky enough to be around earlier was little Justin Bieber and I'm watching him navigate all that shit, man. It's uh granted sometimes life makes you do crazy things, but like, there's nothing normal about your life. Mm-hmm. I think he will have access to all the best. Unfortunately, I kind of think there's so much pressure that will go on Bronny to be like his dad. I'm not sure he'll be like his father. He'll have to be secure in him being his own player. I think he has a chance, though. I think he has a chance. Um, I don't know. I, I feel for like for all those kids, though, it's, you know, when I look at certain kids that like have this following, it's because of their play. It's not because of their fathers and their accolades. So I think, you know, when you when you're doing it on your own, it's one thing, but when you're when you're trying to do it on your own, but you're doing it under, behind the shadow of a like a LeBron or D Wade, like a Zaire or you know a Bront, it makes it so much more challenging because people will automatically look at your father and compare you to your father, and it's hard for you to come into your own mind with how you want to play the game. That's different than the way your father played the game. I have. A little one on the way and you know i'm spending a lot of time i'd be curious to talk to bron and, and be wait about that because i'm thinking about you know we're thinking about naming him zane i'm like you know like if this kid wants to play basketball he's gonna be around hoops a lot because i'm always around hoops but like is he constantly like watching tape of me like when i go places and people are talking to me like him seeing that like how hard is it to form your own identity when everything is focused on your dad all the time that's a lot of pressure man so be curious to see how those guys try to help them work through that. But uh, I, I do think he has a chance because I think he's talented. Is he going to be a Hall of Famer? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have a crystal ball. 
But I think he has a chance to be to be a pro one day. He has it in his genes for sure. Give me by position the all time Blue Devil team. You're the two. Okay. Even though he played 10 games, I'm taking him. Kyrie at the one, of course. I'm taking Kai and I at a backcourt. Um, at the three, I go Grant. 100%. At the four, I know people are going to want me to say Leitner, but I take Shane Battier. Wow. I take Shane because I think Shane gives me so much more defensively. And I think wow. offensively, his game – was similar to Leitner's because he can shoot. And I think with the players we have, I take, I, I, I like him in our combination. I, I, I like him. I take him over at Leitner. I know people are gonna think I'm crazy for that and I don't care. And then, or I could do late at the five. I mean, was late a five? No, I, I think you gotta go with like the Cherokee, Cherokee Parks type player I, at the five. I go with Elton Brand. Oh, that's a hell of a five. I was trying to think who the five might be. You're right, Elton would be a sick five. I go with Elton Brand, so I go, Elton Brand, Shane, Grant, myself, and Kyrie. What a fucking team. That's a great team until Kyrie poisons the chemistry. No, no, we're we're not no not gonna happen. We're not talking about we're not talking about the Boston Celtics, Kyrie. We're not talking about Cleveland, we're talking about college Kyrie. We're good. Over yeah, early. I, That's they pretty amazing. And went to greener pastures. Well, because I'm a Celtics fan, so I get I still have uh obviously I'm still hurt. Well, let me oh, fair. Let me ask you guys this. Okay. I mean, talent-wise, you taking Kyrie or are you taking Bobby Hurley? I think Hurley was one of the greatest PG leaders in college basketball history. And I think – so here's the way I would break it down. Here's my counter. I think you're definitely the two. You were insanely special in college, insanely. I remember watching you. I think Hurley's just that throwback pure point guard, and you guys would work really well together, although there would be size issues. Grand Hill's the greatest player to ever wear Duke uniform, and I agree with you. There's, we, we never saw the greatest of him in the pro leagues, unfortunately, but he, he, both offensively and defensively, just special beyond comprehension. I think Leitner goes at the four, but I get your Battier argument, throw up for me. And then the five is where I was having trouble. I love your Elton Brand pick. He was special in college, too. I don't think his game, although he had a great NBA career, it didn't translate to that true greatness that he had in college, but he was, he was a great college player for sure. I love that. That would be my team. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I love Bobby. Bobby's one of my all time favorites. I just, you know, I remember watching Kai play and one of the things that people don't recognize about Kai, look, the, the, the leader, and that's why I brought in Shane because I think our leadership position isn't at the PG spot. I think, it, I think it's with Shane. Shane was, one of the things that, and I don't, I didn't play with late, but Shane, Shane taught me how to think the game along with Coach K. It was every possession. He thought through the game. So Shane was like our de facto PG as well. One of the things I loved about Kai, I've never seen somebody as talented with the ball in the history of the game. Wow. Irving. You can take that, mark it down. People can say whatever they want. I'm not talking about the other things that come along with Kai. I'm talking about sheer basketball talent mm -hmm. i've never seen a guard as special as kyrie irving never seen it again like, I, I think the one comparison i would have he is a modern day version of pistol pete like the ball dances yeah. i feel like the ball it's like i'm watching poetry but at a really fast pace and uh you know kevin and i durant will have conversations about this i just 
he's able to get the ball in nooks and crannies. And it's funny, like his confidence level, you know, I know he said that on the podcast with Kev, the rant where he's like, now I feel like I'm playing with another player and I can actually take those shots, those game winning shots. He, you know, he firmly believes doesn't matter who he's playing with. He, he has the ability to make that shot. And it's really funny, like knowing him and watching those games, like I don't think he was wrong when he made that statement. Like I'm not saying Kyrie's going to be more impactful in the game like LeBron James is because he's not. But when it comes down to like, yo, five seconds left, you're in an isolated situation, get me a bucket. I kind of agree with them. So it makes it so frustrating. I know. And I see it because like, look, when like Kai and I, we don't talk. And I know that I'm part of the media and I know that he's one of my favorite players to ever watch. And it's hard for me because I root for him all the time, all the time. And I constantly found myself in these situations where we're coming to Tampa, like, yo, Kai said this, Kai said that. I'm like, oh, like, it's almost like Baker Mayfield. I'm like, Bake, stop. Yeah. Just, just shut the fuck up. Right. Out. Just shut the fuck up, right? Whenever someone's like, so Baker, what do you think about OBJ? No comment. Yeah. I don't got anything to say. Don't just take the Say that. Yeah. Say that because every all these other things are just like traps. Mm-hmm. Like media wants you to be yourself, but they don't want you to be yourself because they'll ridicule you for being yourself. All right, Jay. We're going to end today with what we like to call a hustle round. I'm okay. going to give you a rapid fire series of two opposing things, and you have to answer which you prefer. Do not take longer than three seconds or it's bad luck for seven years. Wow. Keith? Great. Okay. Need bad luck in my life after 2020. Perfect. <laughs> All right, first one. Better pizza, Chicago or New York? Chicago. Better coach, Brad Stevens or Eric Spolstra? Eric Spolstra. Better basketball movie, He Got Game or Love and Basketball? He Got Game. Dude, Love and Basketball, don't sleep on it. Next, better better basketball documentary, The Last Dance or Hoop Dreams? (sighs) Hoop Dreams? Better actor, Denzel Washington or Robert De Niro? Denzel Washington. Doritos, Cooler Ranch or Nacho Cheese? Cool Ranch. Beer or wine? Wine. French fries or onion rings? French fries with barbecue. Favorite New Jersey-born celebrity, Frank Sinatra or Whitney Houston? I call myself a black Frank Sinatra, so Frank all day long. More potential, Luka Doncic or Jason Tatum? Luka Doncic. Funny or Duke teammate, Carlos Boozer or Mike Dunleavy? Booze. Lake or ocean? Ocean. Sauna or steam room? Steam. Big spoon or little spoon? What does that mean? Cuddle, big spoon or little spoon? Oh, see? Context. <laughs> Context. Well, well, I don't know. What, what is big spoon? Are you behind little spoon? You're in front? Yeah, I don't know you don't know what big spoon, little spoon is? No, I've never said, do you want to be the big spoon or little spoon? I've never used that terminology. <laughs> it's pretty self-explanatory. It do you is. like being cuddled or do you like being the cuddler? Oh, God, this is embarrassing. I mean, I, a little bit of both sometimes, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, everybody wants to be held sometimes. I mean... Here or there. Little spoon, I guess. Um, that, that, that's We've had some great athletes say they were little spoon too. So don't don't feel insecure. All right, All right Jay Williams. You have survived yeah, yeah. the hustle round. We thank you for being on this podcast. Don't forget to tune into Chase Chat's web series, correct? Yes. And where can people find that? They can find it at chase.com. That easy. Awesome. You you were awesome, man. Thank Jay, you. So this much. was electric, man. Thank you so much. All right. Can I just say that was the most entertaining interview imaginable? Although Jay and I, I thought, went toe-to-toe on all-time Duke teams. I still stand by mine, Matt. What do you think? 
Uh, yeah, I would. I'm rarely I'd say this, but I'm in the Arthur Cade camp here. You know, you you put out a good team, and I might choose yours over over his for sure. But a little behind the scenes here, Jay was about 15 minutes late to the interview. We thought he was going to be a no show. We were pumped for this interview, and it was a it was a never meet your heroes type moment. Jay comes in a sweat about 20 minutes late here, and he said he had just ran home from the dentist. He just had a drill in his tooth. They gave him whatever loopy drugs they had. So he, this was his Jordan flu game. The fact that he made it and did this interview just makes me respect him a whole hell of a lot more. Yo, he brought the energy like the rock coming into the WWE ring. It's like, can you smell what Jay Williams is cooking? It was, it was electric. And by the way, our next guest, I thought brought his A-plus game too. Legendary tight end, Dancing with the Stars vet, actor, producer. Here he is, Vernon Davis. Huge guest on the Endless Hustle today. We have Super Bowl champion, Pro Bowler, curling enthusiast, and a man of many more hats. Please welcome on Vernon Davis. Thanks for making the time, Vernon. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So we're about a year out from your retirement announcement. How is life without football? Do you miss it yet? Are you making the comeback? Yeah, <laughs> the comeback. You, you know, I definitely miss football. Football has always been very important in my life along along my journey and uh, I, I definitely think about it all the time but as far as making a comeback I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> I was thinking about you Vernon because Bill Belichick just came out and said George Kittle is as good as anybody he's ever coached or played against and oh, wow. I thought to myself what's Gronk thinking when he hears that down in Tampa Bay? So <laughs> from a tight ends perspective I'm guessing there's kind of this ego that comes with being a great tight end. How would you feel if a coach that you were arguably the best tight end for of all time said that about another tight end? You know what? I, yeah, I see where you're coming from with that one because, you know, you, you cultivate a relationship with the coach, that kind of relationship, you always feel that that coach has your back. But, you know, as you move on, things change, right? So if I'm Gronkowski, I wouldn't take it to heart. I just look at it as if, you know, I'm no longer in his presence and, um, you know, I've moved on, coaches moved on and now he's, he has to make a, a remark about someone, you know, that's playing that same position of a guy that he had who was arguably the best tight end ever played, which is Rob Gronkowski. I mean, I, I think it's a great thing. I think it's, it's a good compliment for George Kittle to take on, especially uh, from a coach that coached the uh, Hall of Fame caliber tight end and Rob Gronkowski. You just made it sound like a relationship, Vernon. My girlfriend broke up with me, but I still have to say some great stuff about her. <laughs> hey, that's what it is, man. That's what it is. Exactly. <laughs> Vernon, you, you mentioned after your retirement that you could have kept playing for five or six years, but, you know, mentally you had checked out. When you decide to retire, is there a fear that you'll kind of, uh, like, slip into irrelevance? Or are there, are there guys holding on? either physically or mentally because they're afraid of losing their identity after football? Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big scare when you retire from football because if you think about it, I mean, these guys have been playing this game since they were kids, and that's all they pretty much know. They're not in touch with everything outside of football, and it takes time. It takes time. I recommend seeking a counselor, um, just having someone that you can talk to about the next chapter of your life, and even starting to create while you're playing the game. You know, we have so much time away from the game during the off season. And, 
you know, we should spend that time wisely as athletes to really work on the things that we want to do after football. I mean, if it's business, start investing and finding ways to bring in people that you can trust to help you run whatever operation that you're into, pretty much. You just finished a great run on Dancing with the Stars. You've openly mm-hmm. talked about wanting to get into acting. You have a production company now. When did entertainment become the decision for what I'm going to do post-retirement for you? Well, when I, I went to school for art studio, and then after that, I opened up an art gallery. And from there, I took a class at the Shelton Theater of Art in downtown San Francisco. After that, I fell in love with the world of acting, and I started doing films slowly, slowly. I did I'm um, in Love with the Church Girl, then I did uh, Baywatch, and then after that, I was a lead in two films that I actually produced, uh, Red Winter and Message from Brianna, which are in post-production right now, waiting for those to come out. I did uh, something with BT called Everything's Fine. So I just, I just been working away, taking projects, being really strategic and smart about the projects that I take on, and doing things that I love. I love it, so I'll, I'll continue to pursue it. You put up this great video, which I was just watching before we got started, showing off how you prepare for an audition, and essentially your practice and process in getting into acting. That is such a vulnerable thing to do. Obviously, being an NFL player, it's all about, I've got to be the tough alpha dude in the room. When you mm-hmm. do something that vulnerable, how is that different from the culture that you just came from after 16 years? Uh, it's totally different because as athletes, we're, you know, athletes don't like to cry. Athletes don't like to expose themselves sometimes you know what i mean especially in ways where we we have to be vulnerable and like i said it's something that takes time you know if you're into a certain thing you have to understand like if i know i'm I'm going to be an actor i have to know beforehand if there's something that i really want to do then i have to be vulnerable i have to open up i have to be able to be emotional i have to be able to just show sides of myself that i don't show in the public pretty much and that's what uh, that's what it's about. It's just about how far and how deep are you willing to go. Just like football, you have to sacrifice. You go out, we go out there each and every Sunday and sacrifice a piece of ourselves. And with acting, you have to sacrifice. You have to make a lot of sacrifices, for sure. Yeah, we had a former NHL player, Sean Avery, on the podcast. He had a small role in Christopher Nolan's new film, Tenet. He said that acting was such a challenge for him because of the long shoots and needing to remember his lines. Did you find it really difficult when you... Uh, when you started up? You know, I found it really easy, really easy. And I, and I say that because I pretty much applied the same technique that I, that I used in football, which is preparation. If you take a script and you use the same method you did with your athletic career, then, I mean, you can do anything. So I'll, I'll basically I'll get a script and I'll go over it maybe 10 times a day, you know, and I'll go page, I'll take in maybe, I'll memorize maybe four pages every two days. That way I can take my time with it. And the next thing you know, you have the entire script locked in your mind and you're ready to go. Do you have any uh, mechanisms or tricks to like access your emotions? I know they put like, if you're going to cry, they put something in your eye to make it like irritated and you can cry. Do you have any, any kind of tricks that you use? So I have, I have three coaches that I work with um, and they're all amazing uh, two of them are, they work from the Vonna Chubbick technique, and then my other coach is a Meisner technique. So a lot of the things that I take from them is something I, that I actually do on my own, like maybe two, three days a week. So when it comes to crying, I have a tech, uh, I have a process, a technique that I use to cry. So sometimes, like, you know, I'll be sitting around the house, and I'll just start tapping into those emotions because 
you know, I wanted it to be muscle memory because when it's time to go on set and it's time to film, you got to cry. Like, message from Brianna, I had to cry, like, almost every scene. I had to get emotional or I had to cry. So I had to tap into it, like, six to seven times each scene. You know what I mean? So that's just the place I have to go. And, I, you know, just like football, if you want to be good at it, you have to work on it not once in a while, but every week you have to prepare. Can I just fucking say, before we get to the next question, we're talking to one of the best tight ends of the last decade, and we're talking about acting technique. I fucking love this. It's fun, man. I, I love it, man. I just see here, like, before you guys called, I was working on some stuff just, just from an acting perspective. It's, it's fun. I love it. As you continue to have success in Hollywood, who's the dream list of people you want to work with? Ooh, I'm going to put The Rock in my movie. I'm going to put Will Smith. Um... Liam Smith. I'll probably uh, I'll probably go with um, Angelina Jolie, give her a role in it, and maybe she bring in my man Mark Wahlberg. That is a power that's, cast, right that's, there. Man, that's a nice attachment there. That might be a twenty-five. That might be a forty to fifty million dollar movie. So you know, I'm gonna try to. Hopefully, you guys can help me work on that budget. I got you, man. Vernon, when you were coming out of Maryland, I'm old, so I remember this. You were, every year there's that beast. Like DK Metcalf was that guy a couple years ago. You were that guy that year, that physical specimen that everybody goes, this dude is just physically a different animal than everybody else. Just talking to you here, we can see how articulate, how intelligent, how much substance you have. When people are looking at you, especially in the NFL, as you're a commodity, especially a physical commodity, but you know you're so much more than that intellectually, how hard is that when you, you understand, when you look in the mirror, there's more to me than just being a football player? Yeah, well, it's unfortunate that we get the short end of the stick as athletes, especially football players. We're looked at as these jocks, you know, because of the stories that come out with athletes going broke and, you know, not doing our due diligence and just not keeping our eyes open. And, you know, it's a lot of stories and that's the stigma that follows us. But I feel like we're getting better and we're making a change. We're becoming, we're, we're gaining more wisdom. And it's not that, all it is is just wanting to do something, right? And I think over time, as athletes, we get catered to, so that we feel like we don't have to. We can rely on someone else to do the things for us, right? We don't have to do our due diligence because we we have funds, we have money to really uh, pay these people to do it for us, right? We don't want to open our eyes, and that's all it is. It's just lethargic, right? Just being lethargic. That's the behavior, and I've been there. I say it because I was once one of those guys. And I had to wake up and I was like, look, I can't rely on people to do certain things for me. I have to do these things myself. I have to learn. I have to know. And that's what I started to do. And I feel like um, my only goal is to be an inspiration for the athletes that follow behind me to make sure that they're doing everything that they possibly can to learn and retain as much information as they possibly can as well. It's always fascinating to me because when you see players like Miles Garrett's a great example where they are a little more eccentric off the field, they mm. get labeled as they don't love football as much as everybody else. Is that annoying when you hear something like that just because a player might have more interests off the field but still be all about football? They can get labeled as a malcontent? Yeah, I was once one of those guys. I mean, there was, points, there was a point in time where – you know, I started, I was focusing on, I had, I was opening up Jamba Juice locations, right? You all know about Jamba Juice, right? Oh, of course. And Love Jamba Juice. I, well, I, own a, I own a few locations in uh, the Bay Area. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I've had them for about six, seven, uh, six years or so. Um, 
But I opened up a Jamba Juice while I was playing in San Francisco. Then I opened up an art gallery called Gallery 85. Started taking art classes. Um, and people started looking at me like, oh, he's doing so much. And when I started to make mistakes on the field, they were attaching my mistakes to the things that I, were, I was doing outside of football. Right. And it's, it's pretty, um, yeah, it's pretty interesting the way that works. But, you know, my takes, look, do all, all that you can, but being able to really balance out everything that you have on your plate. When it comes to football, you, you, do, the, you do what you have to do in football. Then when you have time to take care of business and the other things that you're into, then, then do it. You, you obviously have a lot of interests and have your hands in a lot of things. When you retired, obviously you said you have the means. Is there that impulse to kind of rest on your laurels a little bit? And, you know, is there, do you have that like now what moment? And how do you break through from that when you really don't have to wake up for anything per se? Uh, just staying busy. Like I said, just having things, putting things in place while you're playing ball. Yeah, you know, I have Vernon Davis Home Care Group, which is a facility where I send caregivers into homes to take care of people. Uh, you know, I have the Jamba Juice, I have the the production um, studio. So there's just so many things that keep me busy that it's like, you know, then I have the auditions and, you know, the projects that I'm working on on the side. So I'm always, I always have something to do. When you walk into an audition, obviously you're a famous tight end. Do they... Do they separate Vernon Davis, the tight end, from Vernon Davis, the guy who wants to be a star in Hollywood? Oh, no, 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 no. They don't do that. And, you know, I don't expect them to either. I'm not looking for handouts. I just want to just work and just show that I can, I can make a transition from, from this world to the other world. And, and that's why I wanted to start with uh, horror films and thrillers to kind of show range and to show that I can go deeper than just playing a football player or, you, you know what I mean? I can be scared, I can cry, I can be emotional, I can, I can get upset, like I can do all these different things. So when um, Message from Brianna comes out, you'll see, I hope you guys have a chance to, to, to watch it, but you'll see that I'm doing so many different things and I'm showing so much. Uh, I'm, there's a scene in uh, Red Winter where I, where I have to die and I'm breathing hard and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm crying, I'm emotional. So it's, um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I know you're a Super Bowl champion and I know most players would say that's the apex, but. 2011 divisional game, 180 yards, game-winning touchdown catch, obviously mm -hmm. overcome with emotions on the sidelines. Can you describe what you were feeling in that moment and if it even compares to a uh, Super Bowl win? Yeah, I, I think that was, uh, that was really a pivotal moment in my career. It was just like I, was just started, I started to think about just – I took myself back to when I was a kid. And as a kid, you always wanted to make that game-winning catch. And that moment was set up right there. And I had one shot to get it done. It's like a dream come true. Then you, after that, you think about all the, the hard work and dedication, the preparation that you put in to make it to this moment. So it's just um, tears of joy just started uh, coming out of me. And I couldn't do anything but release those tears because I was just so passionate on that day. And it was such an exciting moment, not just for me, but for the organization as well as my teammates. You played with Colin Kaepernick, obviously, and Colin, now looking back in hindsight, has become the face of arguably activism across all of sports. He was probably the first guy who, who really started kicking in with Black Lives Matter and so many other reasons for what players are doing today. What were your thoughts when that first started happening, not knowing where we would end up today? You know, when it comes to politics, I try to stay out of it, but I... I like that, that 
an individual has, has the liberty to make a decision and to make a choice, right? We all have choices and that's the choice that he wanted to make and he believed in it and he kept going at it. So I don't fault anyone for, for going with what they believe in. I have things that I believe in. Everyone has things that they believe in um, and they have causes that they want to support. So, uh, you know, I'm not upset with Colin for, for making the decision to, to do whatever it is that, he was, that, that he's doing, you know, whatever he's pursuing. And uh, I always thought he was a great guy. I thought he was a hard worker. He was the hardest working man on the field. I mean, one time I, I caught myself looking. I'm like, gosh, this dude is like, a, I mean, he's like, the, he's like the matrix. I mean, he's just incredible. He can do everything. He can run. He can throw. He works extremely hard. So, you know, I, I don't have anything negative to say about Colin because he was always a very amazing uh, teammate. Another guy you were uh, you played with, uh, Alex Smith, you were on the receiving end of the catch with. Uh, I mean, he's back playing football after literally almost dying. Uh, what was it like to see Alex back playing football again? And do you are you at all scared for him like I am? Yes, I am. I was very afraid of him, especially when I heard he was coming back because I watched him. I would walk into that locker room every morning and see him on that table and, and and I saw in person, like, what they did to his leg. They took a skin graft, took skin off of his thigh and put it on his leg. And, I mean, his leg was really, at the time, was really um, – It looked like a turkey leg. Yeah, it looked as if it was inflated. At the bottom, it was, like, really uh, scary to watch. But to see him back out there, it's just like, you know, he's a – gosh, it doesn't surprise me because he's, he's so resilient, man. I watched him when he was at the 49ers from being benched to – coming back and then being traded and going to Kansas city and being at the top of his game over there. It's just, I mean, that guy is relentless. He's everything that we all should strive to be like. That's what Alex Smith stands for. There is a mystique around the Manning family. And we just had Rashad Jennings on the pod and he's super tight with Eli. And he told us some great Eli stories, both on and off the field. You got to play with Peyton. Give me a great Peyton Manning story. Something that you may have never told before that really gives us some insight into a, his unique character off the field. Oh, he's the best person ever. When I, <laughs> when I was traded, he called me right away. He said, is that Brian? I'm about to come on. I'm about to come on in there and come see me when you, uh, when you get here. Right, so I, was, <laughs> so I, go see, uh, I go see him and he, you know, he, he, he welcomes me in and, and uh, you know, in the locker room, he's like, he's a true leader, man. When you've, give, you've been given so much, you have to really – make sure that you're, you're really minimizing yourself. And I, and I say that because um, there's, a, there's a huge audience around you, which is which are your teammates, right? They're, they're your teammates. And, and, a lot, and a lot of times there's so many different personalities and that, you know, a lot of guys like attention and, you know, there's a lot of guys who, you know, guys, are, you, know, you know, when you've given so much, you just have to really stand back and minimize yourself and just, just be that leader, be that inspiration and be everything that you want everybody else to be in the most positive way, right? He would, he would just stand in the locker room and just – you wouldn't even know he's there. But when he goes out – when he goes out on the field, oh, he's like a general. He's taken out. He's like, DT, get back. DT, burn it over there. Run it. He's changing plays. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And then when we're in the meeting room, he's like – it's almost as if he's the offensive coordinator. He knows everything. He's very precise. He knows what he wants. And he's just – he's a hard worker, man. He's, he's great. He's phenomenal. And then one time I remember when we, before we got on the plane to go to um, 
San Francisco for the Super Bowl. I walked in, Peyton had these gold chains around his neck, sit back, he had the sunshades on, just hanging out with some of the teammates. I was like, that guy right there is amazing. He is amazing. He, he knows how to get his guys to rally behind him. He, I mean, he's a true leader, man. He's a true leader. That was an awesome Peyton uh, impersonation. You may be in line for his biopic. <laughs> That's so funny. Does he know that he's a character? We were talking to Rashad about Eli, because obviously Eli is the meme king. And we asked Rashad if Eli knew people were making fun of him. And he's like, yeah, I would show him the memes. And Eli would just be like, ha ha, and just laughing about it. Did Peyton know the comedy around him? Like he had the little bit of the beer gut. He was great on SNL. Did he realize how much of a character he was and play into it off the field? Yeah, I don't think so. He was just a very quiet, selfless, optimistic person. I mean, every day he would have these bags of ice covering his body. I've never seen anything like it. You know, normally when you, you want to ice your body, you get in the cold tub, but not Peyton. He's sitting there with the ice bags on his neck, his hand, his leg. I was like, he's out of his mind. <laughs> but he's the nicest guy in the world. He's very, like I said, he's a true leader. He knows how to um, get guys behind him, and he's all about winning. You were famously known to be an absolute uh, beast in the weight room. In college, I read that you were benching like 460. What is your proudest feat of strength in the weight room, uh, and has your fitness uh, and weightlifting routine changed since uh, retirement? Woo, you're taking me back. I don't even know if I can lift 300 pounds right now. What? All right, we're done here. Vernon, I just did 255 and put a video up of it four times. Yeah. Whoa, that's probably me. I can probably do 255. I'm probably right there with you, man. I've been dancing every day. When you're dancing, you I mean, you lose a lot of muscle. You're just, you know, I'm just fox trotting around everywhere. So um, I was actually bigger when I was in college. I was 255 pounds. So when I got to the NFL, I lost um, I lost a few pounds because I was running so much. And I think my bench probably stayed around like 400 and 405 pounds. But college was, yeah, that was the day. Are you repping that or the 405 or is that the max? I could probably do 405 maybe, I mean, right now, maybe two times. How about in your heyday? Uh, four or five, I can probably do at least four to five times for sure. Who was the strongest guy you've ever been in, in the uh, locker room? That's a good question. I'm going to have to say uh, maybe Trent Williams. He's super strong, very explosive. Strong man. We call him the silverback. <laughs> There's a guy that I played with named Isaac Sokwaga. He was really strong, too, like naturally strong. I mean, if you were looking at him, you probably think he could lift the house. He was so just massive. I mean, his calf muscle was probably – uh, it probably take six of my calves together to look like his. It was crazy. In the pros or college? In pros. When you're at Maryland and you're this stud athlete, everybody's saying you're going to be a first-round pick. You're in insane shape. Mm -hmm. Everybody's coming at you. I'm guessing the women, the agents, the money, the boosters. I mean, I can't even imagine what you guys mm -hmm. go through. How do you handle that stuff? Walk me into that position. What's it like? Yeah, it, it, it can be it can be really um, a, a, a big distraction. I mean, because once once agents and everyone become familiar with you and they know you have talent and potential to be like something huge and just go on and, and become a professional athlete, they start coming from everywhere. 
they're they're offering you money they're offering you offering you uh to pay your bills and just all kinds of crazy stuff but i think as as a human being and as an athlete you have to really make sure you're making the wise decision and know that if you do anything wrong to jeopardize your career it could all be taken away so you have to be smart you have to really really make the right decision or it could all be taken away and, and there's history all you have to do is look at the history books and see the things that have, that has happened to some of the people who's who's been on the other side who's taken the money taking the 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 cell phones and and the clothes and i mean you just put yourself in a, a tough spot when you entered the league and you came into all this money was it a difficult transition for you or did you handle it uh responsibly or did you make any kind of fu purchases coming out the gate yeah, I think uh, I think for me, I never, I wasn't used to having that kind of money, especially at 20, 21 years old. I mean, twenty five thousand dollars, and then you sign a million. First, it starts out with twenty five thousand because you you know you you get a lot of credit and you know you do those things, and then you get your signing bonus, and you have millions of dollars, and now all of a sudden, I mean, like, you can buy anything you want, you can do anything you want. So you have to, like I said, you you go through trial and error, you make purchases that you shouldn't make and you lose a, a few dollars and you do things that you later on regret. But if you're smart, you'll learn from it and you won't do the same thing again. You had five concussions. What's it like when you get your bell rung like that? Oh, to five concussions. I mean, it's the, I mean, they're all different. I've been fortunate enough to be able to have mouth concussions. So not as severe, but, but pretty severe. So uh, they're, they're different. Uh, they're very different. One time I had a headache. The other time I, for, I lost my memory for a few seconds. And the last time, the last one, as I remember, I had light sensitivity for four months. Yeah. Every time you get one, it could all be different. How scary is that when you start having things like light sensitivity? Is that when reality sets in for you and you think, oh, shit, am I going to be affected for the long term with this? Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. It's um, yeah, it's you think about it. You think about all the all the things that you can suffer from later on, and you definitely, if you're playing, you definitely definitely think about your career. And that's what I was going through when I was playing with the Washington football team. I was thinking about my career as I was playing because you know I I knew I had just suffered a concussion and it took me four months to recover. And I'm thinking to myself, I know the doctor told me that I was okay, but how do I feel? You know, you have to ask yourself that question. You have to make the best decision for yourself. Do you have any uh, residual kind of injuries, aches and pains that nag you post-retirement? Post, uh, yeah, I think the only thing that I have is just that I have to wear glasses now from the amount of concussions that I had. Yeah, I don't have to wear them all the time, but I have to I wear them here and there. We were just talking to Jalen Rose about Tyler Hero and his breakout playoffs. And Jalen gave us a great anecdote about how important it is as a player in any sport where you end up and the franchise and the culture that you end up with. That could determine whether or not you become Tyler Hero or some guy who's out of the league in two years. You ended up with the 49ers. When you walk into a franchise that has storied history, has culture built already, what is the difference between an organization like that versus an organization that is on the opposite end of the spectrum? Yeah, it's two steps. Well, uh, an organization like this, like the 49ers, they have you know history of winning Super Bowls. They have legendary players who, who wore their uniforms, like Jerry Rice, Joe Montana. I mean, you're, you're walking in some big shoes, right? You have some big shoes to fill. So you, you're really pressured to perform at a high level because of 
the legacy this that's been left with that team. But then you go to a team that doesn't really have that many Super Bowls, and now you have you know I wouldn't really say it's pressure, but it can it can turn into pressure because you have like this this mindset to really win Super Bowls so that you can be like the the 49ers and yeah, you know what I mean? And the, it's just awesome on both sides because um, they can all be positive. You know, it can all bring up a, a positive perspective to a player, um, especially if he has goals and, and he see it and he gets it, he gets what, what needs to be done within that time. You played uh, with and against some hard hitters in your day. You obviously played with Patrick Willis and against, you know, Ray Lewis, Cam Chancellor. Is there one guy who rises above as the hardest hitter of all time in your book? Oh, I'm going to say Cam Chancellor for sure. Any play in particular where he rung your bell? Yeah, I'm going to say the catch. We played against them. I was going to – I was in the – if you're going towards the end zone, I was, I was in – I was hitting the right – on the right side, and he caught me in midair. Kaepernick had threw me the ball, and uh, – he just crushed me, man, laid me out. You were a multi-sport athlete in high school. When you look at guys like Dion and Bo Jackson who are able to do it at the pro level, A, what type of athleticism does that take? And B, if you had to choose best athlete of all time between Bo or Dion, who are you picking? Ooh, I'm going Bo Jackson all day. Oh, yeah. Didn't even hesitate. He was phenomenal, man. He could do it all. And he's just one of those players that we all know of, but I don't think he got the, the respect that he deserves. He is legendary. He's gonna, I feel like he's going to always be legendary because of the, his athleticism. And the, um, I mean, he was just, he had so many, he was so dynamic. He could do, he could do everything. I want to talk to you about having Vontae in the league. You mm -hmm. had an amazing career. Vontae's had a terrific career. When you have a sibling in the league, does that help? Is it harder? Are you compared against each other? What is it like? No, I'm the oldest, so I was always four years ahead of Vontae. He was like, I was like his biggest fan. I always wanted him to do well. I wanted him to do better than me. I looked at him as if he was maybe like a son. You know, you always want your kids to do better than you. And when they do well, you get super excited. You're, I mean, you're just filled with so much joy. I remember when he got drafted to the Dolphins. I was right there by him. I've always been by him. I used to take him out of the house at 6 o'clock. 7 a.m. in the morning, he didn't like it. But I told him, I said, it'll pay off. Just come on, follow me. And he did. And he got better and better and better over the years. And to see him blossom into what he blossomed into, truly phenomenal. When did you know you were going to the NFL? Pinpoint the moment where you said, I'm going to be a pro. Oh, I said I was going to be a pro in eighth grade. That yeah. early, you knew? Oh, yeah. I, yeah, after playing basketball, I said, I'm going to be a pro. I didn't know what it was going to be. I thought it was going to be basketball. But it turned out to be football. Did you have offers in basketball? How were, how were you at hoops? Oh, I was pretty good. I was pretty good. I have, I have a couple um, – I have some accolades. I started from junior high school all the way up through high school. I'm Junior high school all the way through high school. And um, I think I, once I walked in in 10th grade, I, I realized that football was probably going to be more of my sport because I was – it was more – I was more dominant in that space. Um, and I wasn't getting taller for my position. I was playing power forward. And I saw the guys were 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and I stopped at 6'4". So I was like, ah, probably should play football. I, I want to talk a little bit. So after you won the Super Bowl, I mean, that's obviously going to be the apex of anybody's career. Can you walk us through, like, what it's like in the locker room after that and what that night is? Like, when do people start peeling off and going to bed after that celebration? Oh, you don't go to bed. You stay up until the next morning, to 7, 8, 9, 10 in the morning. 
we didn't go to sleep. I didn't go to sleep. We stayed up. We had champagne. We had cigars. And, oh, man, it was the best time of my life. It was very, very, everyone was really, they were on their best behavior. Um, it was just a bunch of the guys. We knew we had to get up. We'd leave really early. Uh, but we stayed together. We made sure we were doing the right thing. Uh, we made sure no one got in trouble. Because, you know, when you when you celebrate sometimes and you, and you have, you know, champagne and everything's involved, you can kind of, like, yeah. get too far in the moment. So, uh, guys did a great job. Everyone made it on time to the bus. We were able to get everybody to the airport. It was phenomenal. I don't believe and it. Talking about accountability. That was true accountability right there because I've seen, I've seen it in another, a, a, a totally different way. Vernon, that Golden Girls video to announce your retirement with you, Gronk, and James Harrison was absolutely brilliant. How did that happen? When did the, you guys communicate and figure out that you were going to do that skit? Yeah, I knew about it. Um, I knew who was involved. And, you know, Gronk and I, we have the same manager, so we try to – do as much as we can together. And plus we have a, it's interesting because Gronk, I didn't know my manager, my acting manager had was working with Gronkowski. And then when I, um, when we started working together, he's like, uh, you know, I'm working with Gronkowski. I said, oh, wow. Okay. Really? Wow. It's cool. We, uh, because his brother was my backup in college, Dan Gronkowski. Oh, wow. And so I knew his family already. And um, so it was, uh, you know, the correlation there was like spot on. So I was like, wow, it's pretty cool. The Gronk family is something special. Tell me about some great experiences with the Gronk family. Oh, high energy, just all the time, just moving. I mean, those guys, I mean, when they were younger, those guys stayed together. And one thing I can't say, those, they exemplify what it's like to be a family, what it's like to be brothers and stick together. I mean, they have the best relationships. Those guys stick together and they still, I mean, you'll see them at events. And all of them are right there. And I, and I love it. I love the relationship that they had. The Dolphins just announced that Tua is going to be the starter. And Ryan Fitzpatrick came out, and he was in such praise of Tua. And you could see this guy genuinely is supporting this young player taking the next step. Mm-hmm. When you're a player that's at the end of your career, you know the end is near, and you know that your replacement is now taking your place. What is that moment like for a player when it's time to essentially and emotionally say goodbye and see the next generation taking your spot? I think as a player, it's really tough to be in that situation. I watched Alex Smith go through it with Kaepernick, and it's, it's just a humbling experience. Everything that you go through prepares you for the next phase of your life. So as a player, you have to make sure that you're, you have a winning attitude. And when I say winning attitude – Wish that guy the best. Root for that guy. You should want him to do well. Even though, um, you know, that, there's a part of you that's saying, I want that spot. I should be in it. But you can only control. I learned this early on. You can only control the things that you can control. If you can't control it, then stay positive, even in the, in the most adverse situations, right? Root for him, move on, and understand that this moment is going to propel you to heights that you can't even imagine at the moment. So just as long as you stay positive and, and hope for the best for the person that's getting that job, oh, sky's the limit for you. Mount Rushmore of tight ends. Uh, Rob Gronkowski, Tony Gonzalez, Shannon Sharp, Jason Whitten. Wow. And Vernon Davis. 
Oh, that's so nice, man. You're so nice. All right, Duke, we're going to finish this off with what we like to call a hustle round. We're going to give you a series of two options, and you're going to say which one you personally prefer. Don't take more than three seconds to respond, or it's bad luck for seven years. You got it? Oh, man. I'm going to respond in one second. All right, let's go. All right. Steak or fish? A fish. Beer or wine? Wine. Better actor, Denzel Washington or Robert De Niro? Uh, Robert De Niro. Steam room or sauna? Steam room. Lake or ocean? Ocean. Wendy's or Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A. East Coast or West Coast? West Coast. LeBron or Jordan? Jordan. Favorite Washington, D.C. native, Samuel L. Jackson or Dave Chappelle? Dave Chappelle. Tougher place to get a win, Seattle or Green Bay? Seattle. Better football movie, Remember the Titans or Any Given Sunday? Remember the Titans. Doritos or Cheetos? Doritos. Blue cheese or ranch? Ranch. Damn, you were made for the big screen, baby. That is the hustle round. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me, too. All right. That was Vernon Davis, the guy with one of the most famous catches in all of 49ers storied history. Just a pleasure to talk to him. And it's really a pleasure to have this job with you, Arthur. I agree, Matt. I think we have one of the best jobs in the world. We get to speak to these incredible athletes and celebrities. And you know what I love? And the feedback we've been getting from everybody, we're getting stuff out of them in terms of stories and knowledge that you're not hearing anywhere else. So everything I'm hearing is we're doing a pretty good job. I'm pumped. We are doing a pretty good job. And if you guys think we're doing a pretty good job, you should follow us on Instagram at Endless Hustle Pod. Follow us on Twitter at endless double underscore hustle uh you can follow arthur cade arthur what's your handle i'm at it's me arthur cade on most channels so follow me or just search arthur cade there's only one of us yeah and i'm on twitter at mr cohan k-e-o-h-a-n all right we'll see you guys next wednesday when we have nba vet al harrington he's also a weed mogul surprisingly and we also have atlanta falcons fullback and fan favorite keith smith you guys got to check it out next wednesday we'll see you then